Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, friends? I hope you guys are having a blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast as we continue our study here in the book of Acts. So today is podcast 127. We are in Acts chapter 14. We're going to read the entire chapter and go through it verse by verse. And the title today is Paul Reaches the Pagan World for Christ. Now, before we do dive in, I just want to say that as I've been studying and preparing for this particular podcast, it amazes me as I see the challenges that Paul the Apostle went through and how he shared the gospel and just the conflict. And as we're going to see today, uh, he was stoned to death. He was dragged out of the city because he was proclaiming Christ. And you and I know that, as Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And my friends, we are seeing that today more and more. And in the world of, of apologetics, as I go out there defending the faith in platforms, whether it be a university, even in some cases I've been in, in, in Christian conferences, and even though a particular topic that I gave had nothing to do with, let's say, LGBT issues or BLM issues, but then we get into Q&A and, and people want to talk about it. Or isn't the God of the Old Testament a moral monster? Or isn't it a contradiction? There is no evidence. You Christians believe that if you're gay, you're going to hell. Or any, any, if you don't follow Jesus and you're intolerant because you believe there's only one way. And that is a very, you know, um, condescending religion that you're espousing. Whatever the case may be. And, and, and we oftentimes are shocked or surprised. And I think sometimes, my friends, we shouldn't be. Because when you actually look at what Paul was going through, and again, Jesus forewarned us. And if you and I spend time looking at the Gospels and seeing how the early church spread the Gospel in the span of 30 years, the known world had heard the Gospel. And even today, if you investigate and, and, and get a magazine or go to Voice of the Martyrs and you see what is happening, my friends, we should not be surprised. But we should be encouraged, though, because as things continue to escalate and things get more hostile, and I know my, my point of views, if you will, my perspective as a Christian theist is becoming more of an issue with certain people, where before it maybe wasn't. And again, I'm not out there proselytizing and forcing people into the kingdom or telling them that they're going to burn in hell if they don't accept Christ as the Lord and Savior, like some people have. And I, again, I don't believe in that tactic. I don't believe in that approach at all. That was not the way that Jesus did it. That is not the way that Paul did it, Paul or Peter or anyone in the, in the scriptures did it. And neither should we. So even just saying, I believe in a marriage between a man and a woman. I believe that there's life in the womb that the unborn has a right to live. There's intrinsic value. That I believe that God created people, male and female, and there's diversity uh, amongst 
humankind or that I believe a person is not born transgender. And, and, you know, when you say certain things like that and the world that we live in today, it's referred to as hate speech and we live in a place of cancel culture. Now, how do we combat these things? And again, I'm not saying that in a threatening manner or a militarized manner. I'm saying in a way is how do you address them rationally, objectively, respectfully, lovingly, winsomely. And one of the things that we're going to see today in Acts 14 is even though you and I go into a situation willingly and capable, right, to have a conversation with someone, we're well-trained, well-prepared, prayed up, counseled, did our investigative work, and we have a series of questions and we want to get to the bottom of something. But that individual that we're going to engage with who has a counter view than us gets belligerent, is condescending, or is judging me for judging them supposedly. Even in those situations, or in some cases, it gets violent, God forbid, but this happens. Your whole intent was never to get violent but is to love the person. But let's say they get so belligerent, they attack you. Again, even in these situations we're going to see today in Acts 14, Paul went there with love and yet he was attacked. And so my friends, that's the reality of being a Christian. We are not, I was just in a meeting recently with a dear friend of mine and he and I were running through a series of these things. And at the bottom, at the, the, the bottom line I should say is, we are not to revile people. We're not to attack people. I'm reminded again, let me just read you guys in Romans 12 as we set things up in Acts chapter 14. But in Romans 12, notice in verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Notice verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And so that is how we, my friends, are to live out our faith, even in a culture today that is going after Christians. So with that being said, if you have a Bible Turn on or turn to to Acts 14. And now just to bring you up to speed, remember this is taking place roughly around 80, 44 to 46. And Paul and Barnabas, they launched their first missionary journey. So if you missed the previous podcast in chapter 13, this is launching uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Now in this span of time, they're going to travel over 1,200 miles and they're going to reach Cyprus and they're going to go into the region of Galatia, and they're going to retrace their steps through Lystra, Enconium, and Antioch in Turkey. Now, shortly after his first missionary journey, Paul will write his first letter, and that is the letter of Galatians. So when I'm done with the book of Acts, we're going to jump right into Galatians. Now, obviously, as we're going through the book of Acts, there are a period of time, like I'm going to be telling you, that this is the time when he wrote this letter. This was when he was imprisoned, and this is when he wrote one of the prison letters, for example. So as we're going through the book of Acts, we'll highlight that. But once we're done with the book of Acts, we'll start jumping in order, chronologically, of the letters that Paul wrote. And so the first one is the book of Galatians, 
and it, it was written between 8047 and 8049. So after his first missionary journey, Paul will write his first letter. Now, right around this time is the Jerusalem Council meeting, which is in Acts chapter 15. So I actually think that even though Paul, by the way, doesn't specifically mention the council, I do believe as he's writing the book of Galatians that either it was occurring at that time or had just occurred, but he doesn't mention it specifically. But I do think that with the people that he's having conversations with, particularly in chapter one, I do believe that he's referring to the time which they're gathering during this time at, in Jerusalem to have this particular meeting that we'll see in Acts chapter 15. So with that being said, let's dive in and begin looking at verse 1 through 7. And here we see Paul and Barnabas flee for their lives. So Luke writes here, Now at Inconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some divided, or excuse me, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derb. Derby, cities of Lyconia, entered the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so we see right off the bat where he now at Iconium, this is the border of Phrygia and Lyconia. And that's where they enter there. And again, which was customary, we'll see throughout the remaining of the book of Acts, Paul will go into the Jewish synagogue. And just like here, you'll see not just Jews, but also God fearing proselytes or Greeks, people who believed in Judaism. Now, the Phrygians, they were polytheistic. So they worshiped the mother goddess Cybele, and they believed that the Roman emperor himself was actually a deity manifested in a human body. So they would pay homage to many other Greek gods. So you have to understand this region, again, that Paul's going into very paganistic, polytheistic cultures. But this is a Greek-Roman civilization, and so they're honoring the Roman emperor, not just who resides over the empire, right, as king, if you will, but also as a deity, one who they worshipped. Now, notice it says that there were a great number of Jews and Greeks who believed. So they believed because they heard of the teachings of Paul, and they received the truth. That's powerful. So again... As we go through this, in some cases, you guys, as we're out there and you're sharing the gospel and you're not compromising, there will be people who will respond to that. They'll respond to the message of truth that you're conveying, while at the same time, you will have, especially as you're going around and you're evangelizing in a large population in a community that's polytheistic, you will have people who will come after you. Now, the IVP New Testament commentary series writes this, quote, Expelled from Pisidian, Pisidian Antioch, Paul and his band traveled 80 miles southeast on the Via Sebasti, uh, and they moved across the rolling country to Phrygian Inconium, also in the Roman province of Galatia. Inconium 
which maintained its Hellenistic culture as a Greek city-state, was a proper, uh, prosperous commercial and agricultural center with five roads radiating from it. So that kind of gives you a background of one of the, the travel that Paul is undergoing and the regions that he's entering that were very Hellenistic and Greek-based. And of course, the commercialization. And these were very prosperous uh, areas agri- agriculturally. So there's a lot of people there. And so we're told in verse two that there was unbelieving, which in the Greek just carries the idea of disobedient Jews. And they were stirring up these Gentiles. And notice it says to poison them. And the Greek means that they were becoming hostile to them. So in a sense, again, and you correlate what's happening today as I'm recording this podcast, you're having a lot of movements who are making people feel that they are unloving or racist, and so they are pushing people in a fascistic uh, way, or as an anarchist would do, is to undermine people of their freedoms and force them to do or to bow to a certain movement. And so when they're becoming hostile against their brothers, they're forcing them to uh, switch from believing what Paul is preaching to, again, accepting their particular worldview. So this shows how spiritually lost many of the Jews were in Inconium and their crusade to prevent Gentiles from becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Because now remember, since the time of Peter, where we left off in Acts chapter 12 to now what's Paul doing in his first missionary journey, word is getting out and the Jews are seeing that a lot of the Gentiles who are polytheistic, but some of them are God-fearing Jews. But remember the Jews were not accepting them fully because they were not born a Jew. So many of them couldn't be circumcised and a lot of them couldn't actually go into a synagogue. So there was limitations to how they were practicing their faith in the God, you know, to the God of Israel. But here now are these Jews who, let's just refer to them as Messianic Jews. And they're coming into the synagogues in these areas. They know the Jewish scriptures. They're engaging these people in a way that the Jews in Judaism aren't. And they're talking about fulfillment of prophecy. They're talking about paying your debt. Your sins have been washed away. They're naming prophet after prophet. And they're believing the message that Paul is preaching. And it tells us in verse 3 that they remained a long time speaking boldly. And the Greek means speaking freely with confidence. So that gives us an indication that there has been opportunities for them to present the gospel without pushback, even though there is, again, some of it, but it also gives opportunity for them that uh, not everybody is rejecting their message. Now, I love this word here because it says, for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, notice it says, granting signs and wonders to be done. That literally means to produce. God honored the diligence of Paul and his crew. So despite the opposition, Paul and Barnabas, number one, they preached the gospel courageously. So the question right now in the culture we're living in today, how are you preaching? Excuse me, I just hit the mic. How are you preaching the gospel courageously? Number two, demonstrate the goodness of God graciously. So we are to be bold in presenting the gospel, but we're also to make sure that we're demonstrating the goodness of God graciously. Number three, performing miracles supernaturally. See, if if you and I look at these three simple things, my friends, 
Are a lot of Christians preaching courageously the gospel? Are many Christians out there demonstrating the goodness of God graciously? I talk to a lot of Christians who, even if they are sharing their faith, they get so offended, they go on the attack. Now, let's say you got somebody who is out there sharing their faith and they're doing it winsomely. They're being respectful to people. They're asking genuine questions. They're trying to get involved in their lives, trying to understand where they're coming from. But then they lack the faith when it comes to performing miracles supernaturally. You see, my friends, I, I think that this really actually boils down to three areas that we have to be looking at. Being courageous, being gracious, and living supernaturally. So I want you to consider those three areas of your life right now as we see a lot of things that are, are getting pretty ugly uh, in the streets today. One of the things I said recently to a colleague of mine is, what's preventing right now for what's happening in the streets of rioting to start taking place in the churches? And when that does occur, not to say that it hasn't, but as it gets worse and worse, just like we're seeing in the streets today, what are the churches going to do? What are you going to do, my friends, if that happened in your church? What is the answer? Now, when you do see, though, that Paul was being courageous, he was being gracious, and God produced signs and wonders. Remember, the Holy Spirit's power would come upon his disciples. And just like with the apostles, or excuse me, the prophets of old and the apostles now, it's confirmation of what? It's confirmation of the message of God. You see this throughout the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 2, verse 43, chapter 4, verse 30, Acts 5, verse 12. Acts 6, verse 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 6 and 13. And now here in, in Acts 14, it's confirming that God's message is being high and lifted up. And as such, miracles will happen. And I do believe, friends, that when we're not seeing a lot of miracles directly in the ministry that we're doing in, in Protestant churches in, in America, because one, I don't think we're being courageous enough Two, I don't think we're being gracious enough, but, but number three, I don't believe that we're as faithful to the message. We've gotten comfortable in this casual Christianity, and we're surrounded by a lot of friends who are very superficial in their faith. And there are some, perhaps maybe it's you right now listening, that God is using you in a miraculous way that you're actually performing signs and wonders. See, we also have this false idea thinking that we live in 2020 and therefore the miracles were, uh, you know, of the Bible times and they're no longer of the Bible times today that's taking place in the church age. That's false. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. Just because there could be signs and wonders through an individual in the church who's, who's a bona fide Christian filled with the power of the Holy Spirit does not mean that's contradicting the 66 inspired uh, books of the Bible. Remember, Paul remarked in Galatians 3 verse 5, he says, does he who supply... Uh, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's the key in all this. Paul was hearing the Lord in faith and God used him in a mighty powerful way. But notice the, the city was divided, it says. And so a, a division breaks out among the people. Now this term apostles that's applied to Barnabas, it didn't mean that he held the office like Paul did. 
The term here is a broader meaning. It carries the idea in the Greek as a messenger and also carries the idea of being sent out on a missionary journey like it's applied in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23. That's all that means there. Now, when they attempt, it says there in verse 5, um, an, an attempt on both the Gentile level and the Jewish level with these rulers to mistreat them, it means that it was an uncontrolled, irrational plot of violence. So they were just being erratic. And this idea to mistreat them and stone them means an, an impetuous movement. Okay, so they were just out of control. So this was a violent mob. And we're seeing that again in some cases out there on the streets. Now, stoning was not permitted by the people. So a mob mentality arose among the people, which got way out of control. So they hightail out of there and and, and to go to Lystra and and Derby. And so Paul and Barnabas, to get out of there, they go 20 to 25 miles south. And then they do another 60 miles into Derby to be safe. And that's where now we pick things up here in verse eight, where Paul is stoned by the crowd in Lystra in verses eight through 23. So Luke writes here, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and he was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermas because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should not, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Inconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Supposing that he was dead, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Inconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Wow, this is some very powerful stuff. So let's break down a few things here. Number one, notice now at Lystra, uh, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. So Lystra was an older Lyconian village, and it became a Roman colony in 6 BC, and it housed many Roman soldiers. So there's a lot of people in the military that lived in this region. And Paul comes upon a person who's crippled. 
Now he tells him when he looked intently at him, just like Peter did with the crippled man in Acts chapter three. And Paul looks at him and says, stand upright on your feet. So Paul's healing the lame man, again, parallels that of Paul's, or excuse me, of Peter's in chapter three, verses one through eight. Stand up uprightly on your feet. So he identifies the very thing that is causing him to be crippled to use that to stand up. That's faith. Now, when the crowds obviously see this miracle, they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, they're calling Zeus. Paul, they're calling Hermas because he's the chief speaker. So the people in this region, remember, they also spoke Greek. And many land, landowners in this region, they knew Latin. And so they were saying that uh, the gods have come down to them. Remember, Zeus was the god of gods. And Hermas, he was, he was the Roman Mercury. And he was the messenger of Zeus. And his son, uh, and he was the son by, by Maya. And Ovid, who was a Roman poet, had told of an ancient story. This is important because this puts in context as to why the crowd immediately responded this way. Because there was this ancient story by Ovid, who was a, this Roman poet, whereby he told a story whereby Zeus and Hermes came down disguised as mortals and brought judgment on the people for refusing them shelter. So after seeing this miracle... And recalling Ovid's story, it's likely why the people responded the way they did in Lystra. They quickly started to pay homage to Paul and Barnabas because they didn't want to incur the same wrath as their forefathers did of ancient times. That's how the story goes. So that makes sense as to why they responded the way that they responded. Now, notice that they had a temple there. So there was a, there was, there was a temple with house gates there. So immediately they respond. Remember, cause Zeus was the patron God of Lystra. So they had a full-time ministry, if you will, worshiping Zeus. So, so these people at the temple respond to offer them sacrifices. Now, of course, when Paul and Barnabas understood what was going on, they're tearing their garments, their robes. And this was an act of mourning because what they were now hearing was blasphemy. So they were turning away from this. And they said, men, why are you doing these things? Now, obviously, I do believe in this passage that Luke records a condensed version. I do think that there's a lengthier version of this that Paul will later share uh, at Oropagus, remember Mars Hill in chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Now, remember, just like Jesus oftentimes repeatedly share the same parables and stories as he was out there ministering in his ministry and throughout Galilee and beyond. The same applies to Paul. He would go into these paganistic areas. He would go into these polytheistic areas. Now, depending on their history, depending on, um, you know, the discussions they're having from the synagogues to these God-fearing Greeks, you know, he would, you know, obviously have the liberty to dive into more uh, specific matters. But in general, as he's presenting Christ as the Messiah, or he's, he's dealing with a philosophical uh, audience that's very educated, whether it be Epicureans, whether it be Stoic people, whatever the case may be. In this case, remember, I do believe that he, he, they know the Roma poet Ovid. I know that Paul, who's very, uh, bril- who was very brilliant and, and very gifted in understanding not just Judaism, but Greek mythology, in, in issues related to Rome as a Roman citizen trained under Gamaliel that he can identify some of these things. And so what we see here in chapter 
um, six, uh, 14 is a short um, condensed version of what Paul said. This is probably a lot more detailed. And I think a lot of it is, again, uh, related in chapter 17 that we'll get to in the next few episodes here on the podcast. But notice how Paul responds when he says, you should turn from these vain things. So Paul and Barnabas, they immediately address what they're doing as idolatry. Paganism to them with these worthless sacrifices was not acceptable to them because they held that God is the one true living God, according to Psalm 146. Now, however, speaking against the Lystra's uh, deities gave leverage to the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, we see in verse 19, they show up to persuade the crowd now to turn against Paul and Barnabas. These are not the people you think they are. They're not true deities that your ancestors and you guys to this day believe in. These are false gods and they need to be stoned. They need to be dragged away. Now, Paul and Barnabas, when you see here in verses 16 through 18, they appeal to many of the Lyconians who were not, again, philosophically trained, theologically trained within various different religions. These were farmers. They didn't grasp the Jewish scriptures. So they're using nature. He's using nature, talking about the nations that walk a certain way from the previous generations, that, the, that, that this God gives you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons. He's speaking their language just like Jesus did with many of the farmers and the fishermen. So they're using nature as an analogy of God's blessings and history to point out to God's redemptive work. As I've been talking about the environment that you and I find ourselves in, whether they're going to believe what you say or they're going to attack you, um, we have to understand the culture. We have to understand the people that God has called us to courageously preach the gospel with grace and in faith believe in the miracles that God can do through signs and wonders. And that's what Paul's doing here. And as he's doing that, again, more people are coming out to attack them. Verse 19, these Jews came from Antioch. Remember, geographically, they traveled over 100 miles and also in Inconium, another 20 miles. And they're coming down on Paul and Barnabas. They're following, they're in hot pursuit of them. And we're told that they had persuaded now the crowds to stone Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So let's understand a few things here. Now, the Jews from Antioch and Inconium, they catch up to Paul and Barnabas. They're able to turn this mob against them. And the mob was so stirred up against Paul, particularly the chief speaker, that they dragged him out and they killed him, I believe. They did this outside the city walls, just like they did to Stephen, remember, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Now, this is the second of five separate occasions a crowd turns against Paul. You see that throughout the book of Acts. This language, they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. There's no way that a mob like this, knowing that the Jews who came for came out, you know, from Inconium, um, would allow him to just be beaten up and like in proving a point to Paul. Don't mess with us anymore, buddy, or next time we're going to kill you. When they stone somebody, especially in a mob-like setting like this, they're going to make sure he's dead. So when they drag him out of the city, and remember a lot of times what they would do traditionally is they would get a boulder 
and they drop it off a cliff to just fall in the body to, again, ensure that uh, the person is, in fact, dead. The bottom line is what, whatever tactics they did and how whatever method, right, of how they stoned him, it says here they supposed him to be dead. And this is where I believe, my friends, that Paul later will tell in, in, in his vision to the Corinthians that he was caught up. He knew of a man in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I believe this is the incident where he was caught up to heaven because he was physically dead. Now, it says here, but when the disciples gathered around about him, he rose up. So that's another indication, I do believe, again, going back to signs and wonders, they brought him back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Derby was, Derby was a three-day journey from Lystra in the southeastern part of Lyconian region of Galatia. So this is the setting of where we're at, where they went on with Barnabas to, to Derby. When this phrase here that he rose up, Paul's recovery was indeed a miracle, according to the Greek that's used here. Now remember, a few months after the stoning, uh, Paul closes his letter to the churches in Galatia by saying this, quote, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says that in Galatians 6, verse 17. Not only that, as I mentioned earlier, specific, to be more specific, Paul will describe various stonings to the Corinthians in chapter 11 of, and verse 25 of 2 Corinthians, where he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, mentioning this incident here in Acts 14. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I adrift at sea. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier in the next chapter, Paul goes on to explain his near-death experience. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. So at the end of his life, it's interesting when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, Paul mentions the persecution that he endured to Timothy. He writes, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me, notice, at Antioch, at Ancanium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Isn't that, isn't that amazing, my friends? Paul never forgot the abuse that he endured, but he didn't remember it as a sign of God's punishment on him. He saw it as a way that God showed his love for him because God rescued him through it. And even still, after this letter, before the end of 80, roughly 8068, Paul is beheaded. So he still dies for his faith. Now, Luke skips over much of the ministry because at this point, we talked about preaching the gospel in Derby and, and strengthening the souls of the disciples. He's just talking about, and again, in a, in, a, in a short summary fashion of what happened in Inconium and Derby despite the persecution. Now, this is an interesting word that he puts here, the returned, he puts here in verses 21 through 22. So despite the physical pain of being stoned, it's important that Luke puts, makes mention of this because he doesn't say that after this, Paul had enough and he returns back home and he calls it quits. He, Paul and Barnabas returned despite the persecution because they wanted to retrace their steps back to Lystra, back through Inconium and to Pisidian Antioch. I believe this demonstrates, my friends, the courage of Paul and Barnabas and the people that traveled with them, their crew. They could have gone, like I said, to Cilicia. They could have gone back to Paul's hometown, but instead they went back to make more disciples. 
And they went back to make more disciples in the areas that were hostile to the gospel. Maybe God is calling you to be that type of messenger of God to go reach people in hostile environments. My wife and I actually, we support uh, several missionaries. Of course, we're not going to mention where, but they're in hostile environments in the Middle East. We need, my friends, to be praying for these men and women that God has raised up to be courageous. Now, notice through many tribulations, Jesus warned us, as I mentioned before, we were going to go through hardships. We're going to be persecuted for his namesake. He says that in Roman, and if you look at Romans um, in the beginning throughout the end of Paul's life, but, but particularly when Jesus said that in Mark chapter 8, all the way to chapter 10, verse 52, just read those three chapters, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. You'll see the hardships that you and I will endure for his namesake. Paul mentions, as I said in Romans 8, 17, that God has provided that even though we suffer for him, that he may be glorified through us. That's the, the way that God can use a lot of these horrific things. And Lord willing to bring people to saving faith. And then, of course, here in verse 23, Luke just records the ecclesiastical measures that Paul and Barnabas begin implementing to strengthen the church. And this is language that will be used later in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 when they start appointing elders. So now you start seeing more structure that is being applied to the early church. So now let's look at the last thing here in chapter 14. This is verses 24 through 28 where Paul and Barnabas return and they give an encouraging report. It says there now that when uh, they passed through uh, Pisidia, that's the rugged mountains, uh, terrains, and came to Pamphylia, uh, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with, with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Now, Attilia was Pamphylia's main port of trade, and notice it says here they sailed to Antioch. That's of Syria now. And they had fulfilled the work that God had called them to. So once again, Luke breezes over the visits in Pisidia, Pamphylia, Perga, and Attilia. So we don't know all the details and from time to time, Paul and Barnabas, remember, as they were commissioned, they, they would go, as they go around and to, to do the work that God has called them to do, they would go back to the apostles, uh, to various different elders, and they would share the work that God is doing. And see, that's another thing that's so important, my friends, is I just read that particular thing for the work that they had fulfilled. Through the years, sometimes I'd get a little, or I'd, let me, I'd say it this way, that I would look past hearing from certain missionaries. Then it really dawned on me and God really convicted me that I actually look forward to with great anticipation to hear from a missionary that God has brought from a, a certain part of the world, particularly a part of the world that I've never been. And I actually love hearing their stories and seeing how God is moving in places like Turkey in places like China or Russia, or Yemen, or Syria. And it encourages me. So Paul and Barnabas, after all the stuff they endure, traveling 1,200 miles, and Paul being dragged out because he was stoned to death, and going back into these hostile env environments, they're going back and they're saying, 
we fulfilled the work. Satan tried to end it. Satan tried to kill us. And he was unsuccessful because the Lord has rescued us, as Paul says later in his life, in his old age, to Timothy, despite the persecution that I faced in these areas. And he remembers the names of those cities, Lystra, Inconium, Antioch. The Lord rescued me. And it says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared these things. And a door was opened, a door of faith to the Gentiles. So we see the outreach of the Gentiles had continued to grow in a very significant way since the days of Peter when he went into the home of Cornelius in Acts chapter 11. And so for in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when, when we heard about these things, this is the Gentiles also uh, glorified God and they, they, they repented of their, of their sins so they can, they can lead them to life. That's we continue to see to this point now. If you are a Gentile listening to this podcast, it's all because it all started here, my friends. It leads to another person, to another home, to another city, to another country, year after year after year, to seeing the work that God is doing he, here, even as I record this podcast in the United States of America. And every time I read these type of passages, when it says a door of faith was open to the Gentiles, you know, it gets me, emo- I get emotional about it. And I, and I think that when we reflect as we conclude and, and see more disciples that are coming um, out of all this outreach, it's a great reminder, my friends, to know that God is still moving despite the persecution, despite what is happening around the world. We know as God used Paul, God is still using you and me today. So I hope as we looked at Acts chapter 14, that it encourages you to not only uh, seek the Lord in a greater, more significant way, but my friends, to look for opportunities for God to use you more courageously. And when you find yourself in a position where someone is attempting to undermine you, that you be gracious to them. But the third thing, like we saw with Paul and Barnabas, but that in faith, you would do supernatural things through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray God will use you wherever you're at, that you be that bold witness for Jesus Christ. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. If you've missed any previous podcasts, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. You can go to my YouTube channel, Jason P. Jimenez, where you see all of my videos that I put out there, cultural issues, things related around uh, apologetics or theology or things related to uh, politics of our day but also the podcast here that you can watch on video. So if you've only been listening uh, in audio with whatever device you have and whatever platform you use, uh, I encourage you guys to check out the video. And when you get the video and you're watching it, that, that you would share it, that you would share with other people. Because the more people we can get in part of this community to grow in our faith and to continue to stand strong in the word of God, I believe the more we can advance the kingdom of heaven around the world. But I'm going to need your help, your prayers, your support. And so I appreciate you guys watching or and listening. And if you have any questions, you can always reach me at info at standstrongministries.org. So until next time, you guys, keep standing strong, my friends.